0: Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. On the show today, Housing Unlocked we will be investigating Ireland's most creative solutions to our housing crisis. We'll be taking a peek inside some of the country's coolest properties with Open House Dublin. I'll be hearing about the rules and regulations to watch out for when you're doing upgrade works on your home. And, tis the season... For Halloween Trees, Neve Marr of the Journal will be here to talk us through the concept. If you'd like to get involved on the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cents. You can email us at The Home Show at Newstalk.com and you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan100. Remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts. They're all up there on the Newstalk website or on the app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, uh, Halloween, I'm afraid it's just two weeks to go, folks. It just seems to me that it gets uh, quicker and quicker every single year. Now, preparation is minimal in our house. A few sweets, maybe, the day before uh, if I remember. And if I don't, it's blinds down and lights off and pretend we're not at home. And hopefully not too many fireworks or alarms going off or all of that nonsense. But I am in an increasing minority. I already see not just bits of paper lanterns and spider web creations in the gardens, but fancy wreaths and even Halloween, trees. Uh, So that sounds like something that has been imported from further shores. I'll be asking one of my guests later on whether we can escape it all or maybe we should just embrace it. But I'd love to know what you think. Have you taken down your Christmas tree and reused it as a Halloween tree to give you an early treat? Have you gone out and bought something uh, to do up your house for Halloween? Well look, text me at 53106 uh, or email us a picture at the homeshow at newstalk.com. I'd love to take good luck give us some inspiration uh, and we'll be talking about that later on and for now you're very welcome along to the show Now Housing Unlocked is a new exhibition at the Science Gallery uh, in Dublin billed as the first of its kind in Ireland aimed at showcasing eight innovative Creative solutions to housing issues, and goodness knows we need those. The exhibition is now open to the public and is a partnership between the Housing Agency and the Irish Architecture Foundation. So, joining me now, I'm delighted, are two finalists, Valerie Mulvan of McCollum Mulvan in studio. Hi, Valerie, how are Hi, you? Right. And uh, on the line, Dominic Stevens of JFOC Architects. Dominic, you're very welcome to the Home Show. Thank you very much. Now, um, let's start with you then, Dominic. Well, you tell us what your project is about. It's called Home for Community. Talk to me a little bit about what what you're trying to do here.
1: Basically, we've identified how people in Ireland really want to live in houses. That's the kind of somehow, for whatever reason, it's in our psyche. And um, density of housing always seems to mean um, apartments to people. So we wanted to do a kind of a pilot project that shows how you can get Dense housing schemes made up of houses with, with with own front doors that offer all the kind of benefits of suburban Ireland while having the densities that you might encounter more in the centre of the city. So looking at somewhere like Portobello in Dublin, that's a very attractive place to live. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a lot of trees. It does have the canal going past, but people love to live in Portobello. It's close to sh- shops and restaurants and all kinds of facilities. Um, and it has a density in, in, in technical terms of around uh sixty units a hectare. Whereas suburban suburban Ireland you can step out your door and your children can play on the on, on, on the green outside and everyone has a nice big garden. And through clever design we've combined those two things. So we have a density that allows for lots of local services, a very walkable kind of area that you don't need to get into your car. Yet there's big green spaces and everybody has a garden.
0: Mm. What is it, do you think, and maybe this is a question for a psychologist rather than an architect, what is it about the three bed semi with the front and back garden? I I mean, I suppose when I grew up in the 80s, apartments or flats, as they were then called, were really, you know, for, for a certain sector of society, they were publicly built, social housing, and now we have embraced the apartment life but is there still that sense it's for other people or that it's a transitionary thing until we settle down and find a house?
1: Somehow that is. In, uh, obviously, commentators have lots of opinions about that. It, it could be said, like, I, I suppose we're, we're a deeply rural country. Um, you can put a post-colonial spin on it and, and, and say that, the, you know, the city was the seat of colonial power. Uh, Irish people lived in freedom out in the countryside. You know, there's a whole lot of ways you can look at that that are, you know, conjecture in many ways. You could also say that the Romans never came here and in countries where the Romans were, they built apartment buildings back however many, you know, whenever that was. Mm. So and and in many ways you just have to accept at this point that somehow that's in our psyche. And strangely people think apartments are small. Irish apartment guidelines, that the, the sizes of our apartments are larger than almost every other European country by quite a They by quite are a indeed
0: degree. and there's also these rules about the, the dual aspect and all the stuff that we have to build into them which makes of course developers will say that's why they're so expensive because you know they are spacious and but, big and we want them for families. Now in your so your development here, your your idea for home for community you're talking about building two and three bedroom houses but yes. But to do so, to get that density in and be able to do it, it there's you're going to lose something. So it, well, in your case, it's the garden, isn't it?
1: Well, the gardens are um, smaller than would be set out in a lot of um, development plans. They actually comply with the development plan in Dunleary, so they're not hugely smaller. Everyone has a garden, okay? Um, and car parking is one thing in in housing developments that takes up vast amounts of space, mm. and you can do all kinds of things if you start excluding cars altogether from a development, but we decided that wasn't practical either. So what we have is that there's a quantum across the scheme of two spaces per three houses, which would suggest a certain amount of negotiation. Car <laughs> um, but well, car sharing yeah, okay.
0: Forth. yeah, but
1: the gardens are located in a way that if you want to put not to fill your garden with a car, you can.
0: Okay, so it's right. putting
1: that choice into the hands yeah. of, of the owner,
0: and that's straightforward because I mean, you know, we see developments all over the place, and developers plant lovely green areas, and then people pave over them so they can put their car in the driveway. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. so so you're just taking that to, to a practical level. Okay, Dominic, thanks a million. I'll come back to you um, in studio. As I said, we have Valerie uh, Mulvan of McCullough Mulvan Architects. Now, Valerie, you have a, an exhibition or a project called Join the Dots. Now, if Dominic was up in Portobello. You've moved down to Mount Wrath.
2: We have. And I I say Mount Wrath, but actually it could be anywhere. Um, What we are talking about in Join the Dots is 100 Small Ideas for Sustainable Change. And I suppose this came out of a book that I published last year called Approximate Formality, which was really about setting the scene and understanding uh, the, the culture that we'd inherited. And although Dominic is talking about the rural side of things, we do have around three hundred planned towns of, of various eras. They're incredibly important. They're really unique, and I, I felt they were being ignored in in all of the things that are that are happening because people left them for a long time. Mm. Uh, and I think during the pandemic, people began to say, "Actually, do you know, I grew up in a small town. I could go back to it. I, you know, it's safer than the city." And so there was a bit of a sea change there about people just saying, I could go back out of the city, I don't need to be here. So I suppose that got me thinking about, you know, how you could use this material that I'd put together. And it, it in this particular project, what we wanted to do was to pick a town and to say, this was the way the town was, say, in the 1950s. It was an amazing space, not any kind of development out beyond it. So we're not talking about tacking housing estates onto the edges hmm. of towns. But what we're saying is, at the moment, we think there's probably about 50% vacancy in small towns
0: throughout Ireland Just on average. Just through people moving away yeah. to the city, dereliction, shops closing up, that Correct. kind of thing. That's right. Now, there's plenty of grants available, of course, now. There is. And that's for, a really important For redevelopment. Point. Yeah. So, so is that something that you see as a cornerstone to, to well, what it you're is, talking about? It
2: is. Because affordability has to be uh, one of the cornerstones for, mm. for how people mm. think about their mm. lives. And really, I suppose... Um, The pandemic did make everybody stop for a second and say, hang on, maybe I can reimagine the way I'm living. Maybe I can reimagine the balance between life and work. And as I said, you know, not necessarily having to be in a city. So that, I think, kind of stops you thinking about a model of continuous expansion and says, maybe we can just use what we have. And people will always say the most sustainable building you have is the one that's already there. Mm. So we thought looking, and and this is our own team of people in in the office, um, we thought, well, let's just take a town, take a typical town like Mount Rath, which has this very strong square in the centre, and let's look at what you could do to kind of intervene in it, to bring people back and to suggest a a way of going throughout towns in Ireland. So we we picked uh, kind of five ideas about how you might intervene. And that would be things like living over the shop or living in the shop even. So, yeah. as you Again, know, we don't need too scheme. many. Again, yeah. popular yep. uh, We've got the idea of infilling derelict sites, all very obvious. Uh, and the importance about that is that it rebuilds the walls of the town. And these towns are really important cultural spaces as well, because the fantastic thing about a town is that it doesn't just give you housing. It gives you the other things as well. So there's a kind of an instant environment there. And we were really keen to tap into that. Um, so the other thing was to say well there are lots of backlands a lot of the towns have very long back plots which go way way out and there's potential there where you go through lanes and, and you, you end up having a long long back garden of maybe two mm. or 300 feet long mm. and we thought well there's potential there for building whole new intergenerational schemes and we're thinking about passive housing we're thinking about energy refits we're thinking about those backland developments becoming something which could contribute to the life of the town. But
0: it's all focused on the streets and the squares that are already there. You see, when you say that, it sounds absolutely idyllic. Mm. You can absolutely see a, a vibrancy returning to a town, returning to a place where, where maybe they're losing teachers because they've no kids in the school. Mm-hmm. Businesses have no customers to keep them viable. and 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 you know the first thing that people are going to think about. Not in my garden, yeah. not in my space, not in my town, because like that does still exist, that NIMBYism. And, and it's not it's n- nothing to do with people in <laughs> Nandrath. It's just everywhere. The no, minute everywhere. you try sure right. and be hugely creative about public projects like this, people go, that sounds fantastic, but not here.
2: Well, I think the way this has to happen is one thing at a time I think if you if you suggest that everything is a kind of a monolithic development it 's a nightmare for mm, everybody mm. because you think about construction, you think about noise and waste and dirt and all the rest of it. But I think our thought was that if you if you did a pilot project in in a town and you could take one town in every local authority area and you could just say "Just choose a town at random or find the town that gives the most." Uh, possibilities. And you could just literally do two or three pilot projects which would begin to show people, this isn't going to wreck my life. Mm. You know, mm. So for example, if you take the thing of living over or in the shop, there are lots of vacant properties where you could just literally Buy the whole lot for a much less expense than you would in to, to build
0: and to build a new estate. Yes. Dominic Stevens, is it the case that you know when you're when you're starting big projects like this and you're talking about increasing the housing stock, uh, people put great store in the height issue? But doing it this way, it seems to me, and indeed with your project, that you're keeping the density quite low. You're not talking about eight-story tower blocks here. Is is that important to get these things over the line?
1: Well, I said th- well, I think people get very confused as well between density and height. Mm. Um, in that we've gone to you know, we produce produced something that's medium to high density and it's all two and three stories. So people get very I, I suppose the, the you were talking about NIMBYism there with Valerie and people get very upset when they hear about density. And exactly like you say, they think about big tower blocks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really that there's huge pleasures in density, and um, density means lots of people, and lots of people means, uh, like I was saying earlier, cafe shops, friends, neighbours,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, a, a kind of a, a thriving place. And what our proposal sets out is that there's different ways of doing density, and you can do what traditionally in kind of architecture has been called low-rise high-density as an alternative to apartment buildings being the the only solution. And I do like, despite that our solution is all based around houses, we did that in a way as a provocation because everybody wants a house. Sure. But small apartment buildings and apartment buildings mixed in with, with houses is definitely holistically the overall solution. Yeah,
0: indeed, indeed. And it's, it's about that jigsaw pieces fitting together isn't it rather than just a Jenga tower you know to use it to use a kind of a game exactly
1: and I think when when everyone in the media or whoever when you're sitting in the pub and people say oh apartments I was in an apartment and it's tiny and it's this and it didn't have a balcony uh, there was a lot of in in the the 80s maybe uh maybe early Celtic Tiger times there was a lot of when the apartment standards weren't quite like they are now. There were a lot of small apartments built and what might be called substandard apartments. And so that They are they are called
0: people. it because aren't we doing now trying to do this redress scheme trying to well, exactly. re- retrofit a lot of them. Um, so so maybe is it that people just haven't been in an apartment in a very long time and haven't really thought about how it might have improved I'm, um, yes, hugely. and could do that. Valerie are public competitions like this important. God, yeah, they're hugely important and we don't have anything like enough of them because
2: the the and, and people will talk endlessly about procurement and how difficult the procurement system is. And we all know about that. But the fact is, there are hundreds of hugely talented architects all over the country, all Dying to do work of mm. of to intervene at different scales all over the place, and we're all really interested in the investment of time and energy that that takes because it improves the general environment. And I think competitions just give a huge kind of fill up to that. And also, um, I, I suppose it's it's true to say that, you know, having having people like News Talk focus on something like this is is tremendously important because everybody's able to think about it and talk about it and maybe get a new perspective on it. Mm. And the thing about competitions is that they don't have to happen immediately. They're part of a sort of a system for suggesting change and it's not something that all has to happen with a bang.
0: It can happen Yeah, it's not the same as a planning application. You're just making a kind kind of nearly like a creative suggestion about how this might look and that that, uh, kind of promotes conversation. Well look, uh, anybody who wants to take a look at the eight projects, including Including join the dots uh, from Valerie and Home for Community from Dominic can do so on the housingunlocked.ie website. And there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, And I hope that you both do very well (laughs) in the competition. Um, So Dominic Stevens of JFOC Architects and Valerie Mulvan of McCullough Mulvan. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today on the home show.
2: Thanks, Janine.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I am Sinead Ryan and I'm with you until nine o'clock. If you'd like to get in contact with us today, you can text us at 53106. That'll cost you 30 cent. Or you can email us at thehomeshow@newstalk.com And we are up in the News Talk app, our podcast, all our great tits up there. And you can listen live or listen back to that by searching for The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Now, it's that time of year again when buildings across Dublin throw open their doors for us to have a little snoop around. The Open House Festival organised by the Irish Architectural Foundation is taking place this weekend. And I'm delighted to be joined by Karen Lee Walpole, who oversees it. Karen, you're very welcome back to The Home Show. Thank you so much, Sinead. Now, this is always a lovely thing to feature and uh, post-Covid... You're back in real life uh, and actually doing tours and talks and all of that, which is wonderful. There's over a hundred different uh, places and events and all of that. So for people who haven't uh, heard about it, tell us a little bit about the Open House Festival.
4: Sure. Open House is a festival that takes place once a year. Um, We are part of 50 organisations, 50 countries around the world that actually host um, an Open House Festival so it's a, it's a fantastic global movement as well. Um, and this is our 17th year of uh, hosting Open House. So Open House is all about opening up buildings to the public and allowing people access to architecture, to the built environment, to learn about the city's built environment and to have a better understanding of how that impacts their lives. So for one weekend in October, we open up buildings, we go on walking tours, we do a series of different events that all are free to the public and so that the public can experience the city and the city's architecture.
0: Now, a lot of the buildings people would be very familiar with, places like the Pro Cathedral or St. Patrick's Cathedral, the National Library. So you can go into those already. You can have a look around. And it's great, I think, sometimes to have a guided tour to point out little things that you just wouldn't uh, normally know. But there are other buildings that you'd, you'd never get in to see except uh, for something like this. And one of them might be, depending on your uh, criminal behaviour, the Four Courts. Uh, and there are tours on every hour today from 11 o'clock, isn't that right?
4: There are indeed. So these tours are um, pre booked tours. So you do need to book them in advance. And there are some tickets still available. Um, but it is 11 all the way to four o'clock today. And the Four Courts is one of those buildings that actually. Uh, underwent renovation there in the last few years as well. So it's a fantastic building um, and it's based on the design of Thomas Cooley um, is the architect of the Royal Exchange which is now City Hall and it's a fantastic building to get inside. It's one of those buildings that we have featured in Open House before and it's always very, very popular.
0: Indeed. Now, one of the ones I'm looking at here, which is a little bit unusual because I've never been in there, I've never seen it, is the Belgian Embassy. Now, tell me why we'd want to go in and see the Belgian Embassy.
4: It's the Belgian residence, actually. So it's the actual home of, uh, of the ambassador, which is very interesting to people because that's, you don't usually get access to these places. So this year we're featuring the Belgian residence and also the US residence in Phoenix Park. So people will have the opportunity to to visit the homes of the ambassadors there's a team of home and housing all the way through the program this year. And so we're going from these wonderful stately homes, um and Uchturon, as I said, the Belgian residents, the U.S. residents. Um, we'll also be featuring private homes back again, you know, before, since before COVID. And we haven't been able to do that. Um, and we'll also be looking at housing developments and social housing as well. So across the board in the programme, there's all different types of housing and home.
0: Now, one of the things I've spotted on the uh, on the listings of what's available this weekend is something called Open House Junior Architrex. I have to be careful saying that. Tell me a little bit about that, Karen.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. The architects are specially designed trails uh, for families and for children um, that we had designed over the last few years. And you can pick up a printed copy of one of these at um, our venue at 15 Bachelors Walk. Um, And you can take your family on a a guided tour and there's little activity sheets for them to fill out and to learn about these areas. So there's seven of those available. Um, you can also download them yourself from the website, which is a, a great resource. Lovely. Um but they are very, very popular and we can you can go into Temple Bar, you can do one in Dunleary, one in Stony Batter, uh there's one for Dundrum and one from Dublin Eight and the Docklands as well.
0: Well, that's wonderful because, I mean, it just means you can carve out a little bit of time maybe to go on the, you know, like a little treasure hunt of architecture uh, around around your local area. Now, there is a walking tour as well uh, tomorrow on how Guinness influenced the Liberties. Now, of course, Guinness um, has such a long history in Ireland and a very forward thinking company really back in uh, when when it set up in the 18th century because it built a lot of housing for its workers and of course the Guinness factory itself is very, very famous. So talk to me a little bit about that tour, what that's going to involve.
4: Indeed, um, so that tour actually starts at the Ivy Market, the iconic Ivy Market. Now we won't be going into the Ivy Market, but uh, we will start on the outside and actually talk about the legacy of the markets in the area as well and I'll then look at all the nearby housing that was built um around that time and in terms of how, as you say, how the Guinness legacy influenced um, that whole area of Dublin, and how there was an extensive programme of urban renewal um, because of Guinness, um, a large-scale development, and it, it was social housing, there was public baths, there was uh, children's centres and market halls, and that all developed, as you say, because of you know the, the factory and the Guinness, uh, the Guinness involvement in that area. So this is this tour is focused on that. It's in collaboration with the Liberties Cultural Association. And they'll take everyone through that whole journey.
0: And tell me then, Karen, um, out of all the events that are on, and I know there's an awful lot of them there, which is your personal Mm. favourite, which is the one you're looking forward to? Well, that's very difficult.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of events, as you say. We actually have over 150 events. Um, I think uh, I would be looking forward to seeing McCullough Mulvins Printing House Square, which is their new student accommodation in Trinity College, um, that looks like a really interesting building to get inside. Um, and aside from that, perhaps also some new additions to the programme like Dunsink Observatory. Another great tour is the Irish Stock Exchange. So there, there's quite a lot um, of variety in the programme this year. So I, I will say that you know half the tours that we have are pre book um, We still have a couple of tickets left, but there are plenty of drop-in tours. And we've developed these route plans this year just to guide people a little. So if you go to the website, you can see the route plans on the homepage and they will be suggested tours uh for the weekend so you can actually pop into three or four buildings on your way around Dublin so they're worth checking out. Do you think
0: we're poor tourists in our own cities, Karen? I mean, we're surrounded by this incredible mm. history, this, you know, rich cultural heritage which we all love and we claim to want to, you know, retain and preserve. Mm. But, but sometimes it can kind of pass us by in the busyness of life, the rushing in and out of work or, you know, shopping or whatever. Do you think maybe we should take more pride or care with, with our cultural history?
4: I do indeed. I think that's actually one of the, the main reasons that Open House is so successful and the reason that it exists. I mean, Open House is about reminding people as well of the treasures of their own city, the things that are hidden in their city that they might not have seen before. And as you say, you know, the... The daily struggles of life uh, mean that as you you never take it in and you, you might walk past some of these beautiful places and buildings every day and never take the opportunity to look up or to go inside and so with open house, it gives you the time to go and do that to actually explore what 's right in front of you and to to value what we have in the city as well.
0: Indeed, I was walking actually along Dame Street uh, last week and uh, I was busy. I had to get from A to B as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. and I passed a group of tourists and uh, they were all looking up And I was wondering, what are they looking at? And I looked up to see, was there a helicopter going overhead or an unusual bird flying? And they were looking at the tops of all of the buildings, not the shops, not what was in them, but but looking along the landscape of, um, I I suppose, the Georgian and Edwardian and Victorian type of of, uh, structures. And I think it was the first time I had actually taken a look myself and studied it. So that was a little bit embarrassing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's exactly it that we don't take the time we don't take the time to stop Um, there is actually a wonderful tour you'd enjoy it's um, St. Patrick's Cathedral Roof Tour uh, which gives you a little bit of a different viewpoint um, on the landscape there Um, you can actually go up on the roof and and see that up close and personal that's a lovely tour
0: and get the lovely little bit of height All right. well listen where can people find out more now because it's on today and tomorrow and uh, you said there's tickets left so what is the website and where can people uh, look for that?
4: It's openhousedublin.com and on the website you can filter by any type of architecture that you like, or you can just look up events um, by day. and it is everything is listed there. So you'll be able to find out your times, um I would just advise people that if you're going to a drop-in tour do arrive early because you might have to queue for a few minutes. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Karen, listen, thanks a million for joining us on the Home Show. It's always a lovely event to cover. Thanks, Ned. And that was Karen Lee Walpole who is from the Irish Architectural Foundation overseeing the Open House Festival this weekend. <coughs> Now, a variety of grants and schemes uh, have been announced over the years to help pay for home improvement projects. But if you're looking to tackle upgrade works, what are the do's and don'ts? Well, joining me now is Chartered Building Surveyor Kevin Hollingsworth, who's Vice President of the Society of Chartered Surveyors. Uh, Kevin, you're very welcome along to The
3: Home Show. Good morning. Thank you very much for
0: having me. Now, lots more people, of course, are doing upgrades. And I think this is, you know, possibly post-COVID. There's, you know, savings there. But also mortgage rates increasing, the housing shortage. People are maybe looking at building an extension rather than moving house. What are the most popular uh Big jobs that are being done at the moment, uh, in in your experience.
3: Well, you know, there's always the traditional uh, uh, single-story rear extension, with the attic conversion, uh, but more and more now, because of the increase in energy costs, we're, we're seeing a lot of the the energy upgrades, the internal insulation, the the installing PV cells, uh, car chargers. You know, so there's a okay. there is a real drive uh, out there for those type of upgrades. Right.
0: OK. Yeah. And like none of that is cheap, really. And I suppose people, once they have the money together, they want to spend it. And finding a builder can be like that can be the hardest hurdle um, to to get over. But it's not something to take lightly.
3: Yeah. For most people, this is a, a massive investment. You know, it, you know, it, they're, they're, they're big sums of money and uh, and. Sometimes I, I, I'm, I'm amazed by people not doing the necessary due diligence on their on their builder, uh, their selected builder to ensure that, that they'll get the job done correctly for the, the, the amount uh, agreed and in the time agreed. My top tip to everyone is, is check references. Uh, any good builder should give a number of references of, of previous works and not only contact those references. But go and see the work and, and look the people in the eye and and, and, and and make sure that the the builder that you're committing your hard-earned savings and your home to uh, can can do what they say they can do. The building
0: industry is one of those where it is always tempting to say to the builder, can, can you do it for less if I give you cash? And mm-hmm. invariably the answer might be, sure, let's do a deal. Now, you would warn against that? I
3: would, I would, because you know you need an auditable trail of of what you've paid and and cash uh, amongst the other downsides of paying uh, paying in cash. But that that is a, is a real red flag if you know what I mean. Uh, that transfer money going out to out of your account into uh, the builder's account is a record that that, that that money has been paid. So that combined with having a formal written quotation. Outlining what is to be done. And, you know, it can't, you know, I would always recommend a a contract, even if it's just a written quotation saying, I will do X for X amount of euros Mm -hmm. in X amount of time. Just something that simple. Or even an email
0: thread, maybe just saying, you know, I'm coming in on this day or I've agreed this work or I have to go and get this steel joist or whatever it is.
3: Exactly. If you're going to give that money, you get the receipts from the builder for those building elements and they're left in your property because they then belong to you. You know, even when you look at the SEAI grant, uh, they provide a list of contractors who are registered to do that work. Mm. So, you know, if you go out right and you get four prices, three of them from registered uh, um, SEAI contractors, and you know, if you go with them, you're going to get the job done. You're going to get the grant. There's a chance that the SCAI will audit them to make sure that their work has been done. You get three prices all around the ten grand uh, from them, and you get one non-registered at, at six grand. You know, alarm bells has has to be ringing.
0: You, you can understand how owners who maybe only do this once or twice in their life would be tempted mm-hmm. to go down that road.
3: I do understand the temptation, but it's false economy and it comes with massive risk. And and that's what people have to, to weigh up. Because if somebody is doing it below price, that means that they will be cutting corners most likely, mm. uh, either on materials or workmanship. And that means you'll get an inferior and a non-compliant job. You know, I, I would say the large majority of of builders out there in in this residential sphere protect their reputation and value their reputation because work is done on word of mouth. But we're talking about avoiding that scurrilous minority, arming, arming people who are going into what is a very specialist field.
0: You're, you're assured by your builder or whoever's doing the work for you that look, oh yeah, no, it's supposed to look like that and uh, this is the, this is going in here and this will all seal it up and something can look fantastic on the surface and then a year later you've got problems down the line. We cover building items a lot on the show and it always engages our listeners. Um, we got mm-hmm. in an email last week, let me let me read it out to you now because we were covering stuff like this and uh, one uh, emailer said, the market is screwed because of the cost of building. The help to buy scheme and the government equity scheme were not designed to make houses affordable. They're designed to create a demand for housing that's already there. Uh, it's already priced itself beyond its own caps by greatly influencing, pushing up new build prices, whatever about the 20 and 30 somethings. This listener said I'm 50 with 3 degrees and slightly above average earnings with a young family and we'll never be able to afford our own home. And then we had another one in from somebody who's looking to do an attic conversion in their bungalow and they said we've decided to go without uh, the dormer to save costs and eliminate the need for planning. We're going to put velox windows on the sides and the back. I can't afford an architect. The attic specialists tend to do it all in one go for what they call a standard attic over a set number of weeks. They'll come in and get straight into it. Um, so so people do want it done quickly. They want ease mm. of it. So talk to me a little bit about that planning piece Kevin because it's a thing that always gets everybody. What are you allowed to do without going through that rigorous, awful delayed process And and what mm. do you need to get planning for?
3: Okay, so in, in terms of the asset conversion, because that's the example, um, there's not actually a formal exemption for the lux windows. However, um, you know, let's say on Dublin City Council's uh, frequently asked questions uh, section, they say that uh, the lux windows are, are applicable at the rear of the property. Um, that lady there is saying about the side, I think that's dubious. Uh, definitely, the is at the front pitch of your your property. Need planning permission. Now, I presume but, you the know, fitting
0: to, companies, like if you go to an attic company that does that all in one, they'll know that, won't they?
3: They they may, they may not. Uh, you know, I think if 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 they do, it's their obligation to tell the homeowner, hey, what mm. you're doing requires a planning application. It's still on the uh, the responsibility of the homeowner to obtain that planning application. Right, and they can instruct the builder to do the work, uh, and that's the homeowner's responsibility. Okay, so you don't get builder.
0: you don't get to say afterwards when when they come and kind of clobber you at that oh yeah my builder did it, sure he should have known better.
3: Um, <laughs> there, there is an argument that he should have known better, <laughs> but if it's the case that he told you and you ignored that advice and still proceed, you're doing that at yeah. at, at your risk. Oh, um, right.
0: Where can people find out, Kevin, if where people are comply like where they're registered and where to go to get that information for all kinds of contractors? Is it the SCSI? Are there other websites that, that people can look up?
3: There are simple steps. One is, are they theory registered? That's C-I-R-I. That's the, uh, the CIS, uh, currently voluntary register of, of contractors. Okay. Other, other simple steps are, are, are check uh, uh, their company registration number. Uh, check their tax returns, check the credit rating, es- establish, you know, if they're a bona fide company, uh, because sometimes, you know, <laughs> they can uh, they can say they're um, X, Y, Z, asset conversions, but they're not. And again, as, as I said at the outset, checking those those references of previous jobs, right. ensure that they are going to provide a certificate of compliance at the end of the job. Yeah, and actually so, that's same. important
0: for if you're getting a mortgage or if you're getting insurance or if you're ever selling the house, actually, you're going to need that, aren't you? Just to say the work that was done okay. was the work that was supposed to be done. OK, well, listen, um, Kevin Hollingsworth, Vice President of the Society of Chartered Surveyors, thanks a million for joining us uh, on the Home Show this morning with all of those top tips. If you have any questions you would like to get in, we will take a look at them and then we can address them and we'll have a guest just as knowledgeable as Kevin on the show. Kevin, thanks a million Thank you
3: very
0: much. Now, coming up, why Halloween trees are becoming the must-have accessory. And join me back here in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you till the top of the hour. If you'd like to get in touch with us uh, today, you can text us on 53106 for 30 cents. You can email us at at newstalk.com We are talking all things Halloween with Eve Marr from uh, journal.ie. You're very welcome to the studio, Eve. Thanks, Sinead. Feeling very spooky. It is that time of year again. Yes. Time to get the tree up, not the one you're thinking about, but the
5: Halloween tree. Well, yes, it is time to get the tree up, but it's not the Christmas tree. It is the tree from hell, if you want to put it like that. Halloween trees, they're a thing and people are are getting on the bandwagon. And
0: as usual, we have American celebrities to blame for it because they are all (laughs) throwing them up on their Instagram and and other feeds, showing us um, curated designer Halloween trees
5: you know I kind of like the idea of this because I like the idea of getting a little bit more bang for your buck out of your Christmas tree especially if you have an artificial Christmas tree that's sitting up in the attic is just there it's I mean why not and also very minimal decorating is needed because essentially it's not meant to look very good it's meant to look (laughs) a little bit bad and a little bit scary and also the bearer the better when it comes to Halloween trees so I quite like the idea I think it's a fun way to decorate Right, and also you can get some crafting in as well by getting some of your Christmas baubles and painting them black. So just think the oh, darker cool. the better okay. when it comes to these trees.
0: <laughs> now, um, so for anybody who wants to give their, actually it's a great idea for the Christmas tree because I know people who very, very reluctantly put away their Christmas tree mm. and can't wait to get it back down as soon as you know nearly Halloween is over. So this is actually a better idea, get it's it down a, at, yeah, the, it's a at nice the beginning well, of October. I'm a
5: big advocate and actually one year, a few years Back, I actually kept my Christmas tree up until May, so no judgment on my part. Wow, was I that think, an accident, or um, had you moved out? Oh. No, no, it was partly intentional and partly myself. My housemate just wanted to keep that cheer going. So anything well, that brings you a little whatever bit of ever gets you
0: through <laughs> exactly. And we wouldn't judge you here in the home show at all. Uh, now, talk to me about where you get started
5: because the color scheme, it would seem to me, is orange and black. The new orange and black. Well, this is it. I mean, obviously, you don't want it to look like a Christmas tree. So if we're kind of looking at Halloween trees and where it came from people say that it goes back to a novel from 1972 which is written by Ray Bradbury and it's actually about Halloween trees a bit of of research on a bit of a random story actually but other people think that it started in 2018 when John Lewis basically just started decorating their Christmas trees that they had in stock with some bare branches so it's very simple to do you can do it with cobwebs skulls black bubbles like I mentioned already bats, ghosts, crime scene tape is a good one as well (laughs) if you want to bring out that Halloween festive cheer we're having a good time Uh, some pretty lights and of course you can make it very pretty as well with autumnal fruits and berries if you want to keep it a little less scary and a little bit more celebrating this time of year so keep it seasonal if you want it to be aesthetically pretty as well but staying in that palette of oranges and purples and blues I mean it's I love this time of year I I think it is and the colours are
0: lovely as you're kind of coming into autumn and you're embracing all that um, kind of light into darkness kind of thing. Um, in terms of now, I presume there's full luxurious options if you want to absolutely beautifully curate your tree.
5: Absolutely and there's some fantastic creators out there who have really nice options um, and another thing as well which I think is quite a fun thing when it comes to Halloween trees, pop a witch's hat on top of it and you'll be flying Oh, hey, oh I did it. <laughs> I did a I had to put a Halloween pun in somewhere Sinead. Um, but for example if you wanted to go a little bit more classic but you did want to have some really nice Halloween treats. Mm-hmm. Gemma Millen Ceramics, you can find her on Instagram, actually has these really, really beautifully made terracotta pumpkins that you can either hang um, or you can also display them around the house as well. Another one that has some really good options as well, Sharon Keenan. So that's Skin Interiors and Design if you want to take a look at Sharon. Uh, she's based in Dublin, but she delivers Absolutely nationwide. So she makes custom made wreaths as well as faux floral arrangements. Wow, well, the wreath is such
0: a big thing. It's lovely. It? Yeah, no. Beautiful to have all year round on your exactly. front door
5: and actually just change it with the seasons. Exactly. And it's so, so nice. Really I've got one on my stuff. door. At yeah. the moment, I got it in Dunn stores for 20 euro. Um, now, the thing is, as well, with, with someone like Sharon Keenan, for example, she also has velvet pumpkins that are available mm. for 3 euro. So you can pop those on your Halloween tree as well as decorating. She also has fabric pumpkins, which, I mean, they're so well made as well. Really, a huge amount of craftsmanship's got into that. So that costs about 20 euro. And then the wreaths, they go up to 75 to 80 euro. But you're paying for the work that goes into making and also, these. you'll have that for years. Exactly. Uh,
0: we'd Lily Higgins on the show last week um, and people loved her because she has this new book out which is all craft you know craft things and all that and she was talking about making a wreath with dried hydrangeas and
5: branches Mm, and all that kind of thing It's really nice I also think as well it's just nice to decorate the house and I mean sometimes Christmas decorating actually feels a bit weighty to me because there's a weight of expectations everybody does it but Halloween decorations can actually be really fun because they're not as expected it's just one night out of the year but I mean honestly people get their decorations up the 1st of October sometimes September now at this point as well so it's a lovely time of year experiment a bit and see what style suits you it doesn't have to be skeletons and ghouls and tombstones Mm. and all that kind of stuff you can make it really pretty and you can make it really now if you do want skeletons though go to partydelights.ie and they will absolutely sort you out if you want to go that way you can get a Pennywise wall decal for 5 euro you know Pennywise is the clown from it pop them up on your wall and, and you'll have a good conversation starter now so,
0: uh, Neve, thanks a million for all those tips. Now, it is also the season. For a nice warming casserole. Now, that's probably much more my thing. And you have been investigating the Mm. casserole dish.
5: Um, Yes, we're looking at cast iron cooking. And I was doing a little bit of research on this just to learn more about it. I do actually have some cast iron uh, pieces in my kitchen cabinets as well. But I didn't actually know as much about it as you kind of do need to know if you're going to invest in a cast iron piece. Uh, And they are expensive, some of them, you know. Well, I'll definitely be giving you a couple of options because... I think it can sometimes be a bit of a misconception that they are very expensive. There are more affordable options that are still giving you that durability that you get with cast arm. The reason why I love it is that it kind of harkens back to olden days when I think yeah. of a big cast iron pot I think of an open fire That's and a cauldron about. and almost a <laughs> cauldron yes keeping with the spooky season um but this is why they've been around for so long they are incredibly durable and they're also long lasting will probably the first thing that that'll come into their head is le
0: crusade and, and it really is the market standard yes but it can be an investment piece that is going to last the whole of your life
5: 100% So Le Creuset I have to hold my hands up We have some Le Creuset pieces In our kitchen We got very giddy When we moved into the new house And spent an absolute fortune I'm not going to lie They are investment pieces So that's why I would say That doing the correct seasoning For these pieces Make sure that you're getting The good amount out of it Now Le Creuset You're looking at 300 euro For a casserole dish wow, Yeah. Now that is actually one That's on offer at the moment When I say on offer It's a limited edition <laughs> it, uh, Le Creuset actually do a pumpkin dish Shaped uh, casserole dish, which is which is great. Now that's three hundred euro. You're looking at for a frying pan in the Le Creuset. Uh, Family about €209 to €229. So it's up there. It's pricey. It's expensive. But do think of them as investment pieces. A tip I would give you is that actually if you go to secondhand shops and thrift shops you will find a lot of good quality cast iron in there. I got mine there. Now if you wanted to look on Amazon for example you can find really good quality cast iron for €30, €40 and also try it out. See if you enjoy that style of cooking Mm. before investing in Le Crusade. Um, But they're not the only ones on the market that okay. have a pumpkin shaped casserole dish <laughs> at the moment. Right. Enter Aldi. 24.99 it comes in a classic cream or a fiery red. Now these came on the shelves on the 9th of October so you're you're totally dependent on whether stocks. or not you yeah. can find yeah. one. It's yeah. while stocks last. So. All right.
0: So um great options there and of course it is one of those things um that you can buy second hand or from a clear out or somebody's kind of upgraded their own their own stock. Off. Okay. Well, listen. Let us know your favorite casserole. I. I, I honestly can't beat a um beef pepper pot it's absolutely fantastic Neve Marr thank you very much for all of those hints and tips where can people find you? Uh, Neve underscore Marr on Instagram thanks a million thanks for coming aid. in again to studio and that is all we've time for uh, this week if you'd like to get involved in the show if you have a question a topic or a guest you'd like us to have on please get in touch with us uh, and send us those pictures of the Halloween trees you can text us by 06 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and don't forget to check out our podcast, which is up on the News Talk website or the app. And uh, I'm over on Instagram at SineadRyan100. And this week, Maurice O'Sullivan was producing with Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy on sound. And Anton Savage is up next. Do stay tuned for that and have a fantastic weekend.